Hello and welcome to another episode of the Achilles Heel Podcast. My name is Elias Rolfsima and I will be your host for this journey. As of right now, the podcast has not yet been named, but I will let it figure out its name and we'll see where that goes. However, largely today, I want to talk about perspective. I was just on Instagram and I saw this story and this guy was basically talking about how he had recently done a 24-hour run and it was on a treadmill. Sounds incredibly terrible. Uh, I feel like running on treadmill is honestly a lot like telling somebody that you went for a swim, but instead of going to the pool or to the lake, you went to a bathtub. However, notwithstanding that, he did a 24-hour run and they were basically asking him why he did this or how he could do it and what he thought about and put up with that at that time. And he basically said that he did it to help raise money and awareness for a friend of his who happened to be a veteran who didn't have any legs and didn't have the use of his legs. And he was basically talking about how much we take for granted little things in our life, not specifically the ability to walk. But if you're listening to this, you're listening to a podcast, most likely on your iPhone or your smartphone, probably in an air-conditioned vehicle or a home, then you're incredibly privileged. So one of the things I was thinking about, because this really, really resonated with me, he talked about the ability to walk. Up until roughly eight weeks ago, whenever I tore my Achilles, from the time that I was 18 months old or two years, to be honest, I don't know whenever I learned how to walk, but from that point in my life, there hadn't been a single day where I was unable to walk and get around. Even through, you know, I've had a couple rolled ankles, pulled hamstring, you know, sore back, other things like that, is I always had the ability to walk. And I never understood or appreciated how special things like that were. And then taking that into a little bit broader sense, for those of you who don't know, I'm a strength and conditioning coach for the University of Central Arkansas. We are a Division I program. And I say that to say, last year, after getting flown across the country for two days to play a basketball game, some of the coaches and I were having a a 10 p.m. dinner, which isn't my favorite, but that's what happens whenever you play an evening game. And we're sitting around the table, we're frustrated, we're upset, and the thought basically hit me of how special our lives were and how lucky we were to be in that situation that we could have careers where we told young kids how to play a game that we loved and we got flown around the United States and we got our food bought for us, our hotels paid for, and that was our life. And so as crappy as losing a game was, I was still at that time so grateful for the fact that could be my reality. A couple episodes ago, I was lucky enough to have my grandparents on, um, and my grandpa was basically getting ready to go to war whenever he was my age. And then his immediate older brother, as well as my grandma's older brother, as she mentioned, they both were in live combat in World War II, the scariest conflict that's ever happened. And this isn't ancient history. This is really real and relevant. And so the fact that we could have these freedoms, these liberties, and everything else just brings about a profound sense of appreciation um, and peace whenever you know we're going about our normal lives and getting frustrated because the barista who is a professional to make coffee drinks didn't do the milk the way that we wanted it or they did two pumps instead of three pumps or like whatever that is we sleep in air-conditioned feather beds as a general rule we are so blessed and so that perspective is one thing that I've had to force myself to go back during this recovery period. And it has really helped me align some of the values in my life and kind of where those are.
I realized that looking back on this podcast, one of my biggest goals was to talk about my recovery and some of the things I went through. And to be honest, I haven't done a great job of giving you guys specifics as to how I've been recovering, what I've specifically been doing, my nutrition, some of my rehab, both planned by my physical therapist and then rehab that I've built and structured for myself. And so I want to spend a little bit of today talking about where I'm at. However, before I jump into the specifics of what I've done, I was recommended by a listener who knows that two weeks ago I did the CrossFit workout Murph. And I did that whenever I was, I think, five and a half weeks post-surgery. So for those of you who don't know, every Monday on Memorial Day, thousands of people gather, not thousands, probably hundreds of thousands, hopefully a couple million people, I don't know, but a ton of people gather to do a workout called Murph in honor of a hero, a veteran who was killed in action, Michael Murphy. And this was his favorite workout. And so it's a way of honoring our service men and women by going through a little bit of voluntary suffering in regards to just the freedom, incredible things we have in this country, right? So it, it's it's not even, I wouldn't say it's even a way of paying them back because it's so small and so little, but it's just a way that we can get our heads right, that we can have a little bit of, once again, voluntary suffering before most of us go out to the lake, we start grilling, we start drinking, we start doing whatever we do on Memorial Day to celebrate. And so I was six and a half weeks uh, post Achilles surgery and I did a version of Murph. For those of you who don't know, the Murph workout is a one mile run, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 air squats, and then a one mile run to finish. If you are doing the, we'll call it the correct version of Murph, you do it with a 20 pound weight vest and you do all the movements in that order till you're done. And so anyways, I was able to do Murph this year. I did it in a weight vest. Obviously, I couldn't run because at that point I was still questionable whenever it came to walking in my boot. So I did a 75 calorie bike on the assault bike. The reason why I chose that number is it basically took me six and a half minutes to bike that far. And that's roughly the pace that I normally run my mile at with a vest on. So I did a six and a half minute bike. I did a hundred pull-ups. Those were rather unaffected by my foot. I did 200 push-ups. Those were pretty normal. It was a little bit awkward in my toe position, but not a big deal. Made it through that. I did 300 box squats. So basically I would squat down to a box and then stand up. Um, The reason why I chose that over a traditional air squat is that without the movement of my ankle, I just didn't have the ability to balance and stay in my position. And so I did Um, box squats instead of air squats. And then I did another 75 calorie bike to finish it. To be honest, my time really isn't important. Although personally, I was pretty happy with it. I felt good about my fitness level and how I'd maintain some of my strength coming out of it. The big takeaway that I have, and I I always get this, and it's why I love doing Murph. I love doing it on Memorial Day in a gym full of people. Shout out to Refine CrossFit for letting me crash their party. Is whenever I'm doing Whenever I'm suffering through the 200 push-ups and I get to the point where I'm doing one or two push-ups at a time is I just think about my grandparents. Both of my grandpas were in the armed forces. I think about my great uncles. I think about friends of mine who have served and the very real danger and suffering that they went through. And it just helps me be grateful for the fact that I can go suffer for 30, 40 minutes 
as just a small token to my appreciation for what they've given. So yeah, that was a little bit of where my physical capability was at, once again, I think that was five and a half or six weeks post-surgery. So far as my recovery has gone, one of the first things that I did to make sure that I was going to crush the accelerated timeline that I was given is I started off um, with a basis of sleep and nutrition. So just for perspective, I was told that I was on the accelerated timeline just because of my age and activity history. And so the accelerated timeline for a full Achilles rupture is basically at 12 weeks post-surgery, give or take maybe a week, you're going to begin carefully walking without a heel lift, without shoes. Basically think about carefully walking barefoot across your living room. Because I'm myself and I like a challenge and I I wanted to push myself to the limit, I was able to take my first steps barefoot at six weeks post-surgery. Many of you may be thinking I'm an idiot and that's very possibly true. A lot of you are probably thinking, uh, why are you risking it and for what reward? And that's a fair question. I'm not going to get into that right now. However, so far, I'm very much ahead of the timeline. I've had no setbacks. Everything I've done with my physical therapist, all the tests that he's done, all the things he's had me do have been nothing but positive feedback. So I am grateful to have had a good experience so far, to have had great doctors and physical therapists along the way. One of the things that is controllable for me is how you sleep and how you eat. So that's the foundation of all health. On the previous episode, uh, I had Ethan Baldrich, who was a fantastic guest on it, and we talked a little bit about nutrition. For me, the foundation is always your protein intake. Okay, and here's the reason for that, is your body can make energy from all three macronutrients. So for those of you who don't know, the macronutrients of the body are fats, carbohydrates, and protein. A macronutrient is basically the only ingredients that you can get any type of energy from. So all other things, while they are important, they cannot be used for your body for energy. So of the three macronutrients, protein is the most important. And the reason is because your body can't fake it. If you don't have enough fats, your body can do a version where it kind of substitutes in some of your carbs and proteins to help with some of those things, okay? And it's not near as effective. I'm not saying don't go fat-free, but it can do a version of that. If you don't have enough carbohydrates, and your body is very effective at this, it can create carbohydrates or basically energy, glucose, if you will, from a non-carbohydrate source. It does this through a process called gluconeogenesis. But anyways, it can do those to substitute for the needs of those. It cannot use fat to create protein, and it cannot use carbohydrates to create protein. So in my opinion, that's one of the biggest reasons why your protein intake is going to be the most important one. So now to get to some specifics. If you are a younger person, and so for this, I'll probably say under 45, and you're actively um, strength training, I would say at minimum probably three days a week up to seven days a week, and probably have some other activity in there, whether that's pickleball, tennis, crossfit, running, frisbee, whatever it is, but think of your traditional lifting as well as some other activities and we'll just group label those as conditioning. If you're in that group, a great rule of thumb is to try and eat one gram of protein per every pound of body weight that you weigh. Okay, so that makes it really easy because almost everybody knows close to how much they weigh in pounds. 
And so if you're getting close to eating a gram of protein per pound of your body weight, and it's very important for nutrition instructions to have specifics to you. So if you are my fantastic, beautiful wife and she weighs 115 pounds, then it's really easy for her to know she should probably be aiming to eat 115 grams of protein. Now, this recommendation is under the assumption that you're much more active than the average American, right? And so you're, you're doing some different lifting. You're probably doing full body stuff. You're also doing some cardio on the side. And so generally, you probably have activity every single day. If you're not doing those things, then the recommendations are going to be a little bit different. Coming out of surgery, I knew that rebuilding my tendons and my muscles, as well as keeping myself healthy, reducing my my likelihood of re-injury, was going to be aided by my intake of protein. But I went a step further knowing that your tendons are made out of collagen. Collagen is a specific type of protein. And so I went ahead and I got some um, hydrolyzed collagen. That's just a fancy word, meaning that it mixes easier with drinks. So I got some collagen protein to supplement my diet with and make sure that I was going to be getting at least 210 grams of protein a day while I was beginning this rehab journey. And the idea with this is to basically maximize any protein synthesis and muscle recovery that's happening in my body by always having excess protein in my system. So during this time, I dropped my carbohydrate intake a decent amount. I dropped my fat intake just a little bit. And I probably actually upped my protein intake just a little bit because I was burning fewer calories due to my lower activity. So I didn't need some of the carbs and fats quite as much. But I was really trying to always keep protein in my system so that any possible, even 1% or 2% extra connective tissue recovery could be happening. So to give you a standard day, and I, I don't have a ton of variety in my eating, and that is by design, I would wake up, I would have probably a cup and a half of unflavored Greek yogurt. I don't love some of the vanilla and honey flavored stuff just because you end up getting so much sugar in that. I do always go whole fat on the Greek yogurt. It's way awesomer. Anyway, so I would have that and I was getting around, um, I think 30 to 40 grams. I've forgotten exactly, but around 30 to 40 grams of high quality protein from that complete protein. And then I would also have coffee, which is basically zero calories because I take it black as anyone should. And then I would also have a protein shake that was basically 60 grams of collagen protein. And then it's not the best tasting stuff, full disclosure. And so I would mix it with about 16 ounces of chocolate milk. And so I'm not a real big macro counter, but I would basically be getting around 100 grams of protein with breakfast and then probably around 600 to 800 calories, depending on if I had any fruit or anything like that. And my lunch was very simple. Um, I would typically have some type of vegetable, some type of green thing. I would always try and have one or two fruits. Typically, that's an apple and an orange for me. And then I would try and have a lean cut of meat. So it could be grilled chicken. It could be um, I've gotten into ground just burger patties, but without the bun and everything um, or something like that. Uh, Typically for dinner, I would actually eat anything and everything that I wanted because at that point, I still had around 12 to probably 1500 calories that I needed for the day. So I could have a really big meal. I had already either hit or come close to hitting my protein goals. And so at that point, I was just basically filling in calories. Um, That's where if I wanted to, I would have my dessert. Um, I would be a little bit more carb heavy there. So if 
you know, you get some of the brain fog and other things associated with some of those higher carb, just lower quality carb meals. That's fine because at that point in the day, I'm trying to hit my rest and digest mode anyways. And so take that. Generally, you're going to sleep better on a full stomach provided you eat several hours, you know, prior to going to bed, not saying to eat and immediately hop in bed. Um, And that was basically probably for the first six weeks of my recovery. That was my everyday routine so far as food went. Um, I did from the beginning immediately try and get myself and the area moving. For the first two weeks, it was splinted straight. And so the biggest thing that I did is I made sure that I got out and I was on a little three-wheeled scooter and I scooted around. The biggest reason for this, and they actually talked about this coming out of surgery, was to make sure that my blood circulation kept moving, my lymphatic system kept circulating. Their concern was reducing blood clots. But for me, if you know anything about how muscles and just really all of your body is going to react, more blood circulation is almost always a good thing. So I I prioritize that. 24 hours post-surgery, I was actually out and about, even though I was still in some discomfort, just trying to make sure that I forced myself to move so that no adverse effects were going to happen, or at least I reduced the likelihood of those as much as possible. So that's a little bit of a recovery of where I'm at. Currently, tomorrow will be eight weeks post-surgery for me, but at week seven, I began walking around the house barefoot with the purpose of just getting in careful volume. And this wasn't quite prescribed, so don't tell my PT. Okay, for anybody listening who might have torn their Achilles, this is not a recommendation. This is just an account of what I personally did. Um, A few of you might have seen the video I sent you of me going out into the world and wearing cowboy boots. It was a deliberate intention for those to be the first shoes that I wore just due to the nature of them having an elevated heel and being relatively stiff. So the elevated heel is to basically take tension off of the Achilles in the back of my leg where it's obviously a little bit more fragile and a little bit less flexible. And then the rather stiff shoe is just to reduce the ankle motion and all that stuff. And so it's still a way to keep the area splinted but allow it some stress so that it can begin to adapt. Because ultimately, the body is going to adapt to anything you put it through. So I was just trying to make sure that as quickly as possible, I start sending adaptation signals because there absolutely is harm for going slower than you needed. If you don't think that's true, look at knee and hip replacements and how much more effective they've gotten and also how much more aggressive physical therapists have gotten in regards to moving the patient early right? And this obviously comes from professionals who are very careful and do this with research. It's very clear that for the most part, movement is the best medicine for the body. So coming off and switching gears a little bit, I do love making these podcasts. I want to make them as informative and as entertaining as possible. One thing that's a little bit difficult for me is to know exactly what direction to take these episodes, what things to talk about, what depth to go into. And so several of you have reached out via text message or Instagram. I'm on Instagram at erolf, E-R-O-E-L-F. I'm on Twitter at Elias underscore Rolf Sima. And so any comments you have, I would love to hear those suggestions, things you want to hear about things that interest you, as well as those of you who have my phone number. I do really appreciate some of the encouragement text as well as the feedback. And having extra topics is actually really fantastic. So please send those my way. And so that's about it for this episode. Thank you guys for listening. I do appreciate it. 
If you've noticed, the audio quality has gotten much better, and I'm saying a lot fewer ums and uhs and other word vomit like that. That is not because I am any smarter or better at this. That's because my fantastic wife probably spends two to three times as long as each episode is editing it. So thank her for that because she is incredible. Thank you for listening.